Hi, everybody. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a very wonderful guest today who we met in another surprising way. That's the funny thing about this program is that every time we have a guest, it's like, how did you guys meet? Oh, it was this. And it's always something really unusual. So we might get into that later. But we have the incredible Janice Formichella <laughs> with us. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to have, you know, a post-Mormon platform invite me on because, you know, it's yeah. been such a, a pivotal and important part of my uh, my story and what I'm now doing. And I have been interviewed before about my post-Mormon journey, but not on a post-Mormon platform. So I appreciate right. you recognizing that this would be valuable <laughs> to your listeners. No, we knew right away that you'd be a great fit. Absolutely. And it's true. I mean, it's, it's good to talk to other people and interview other places, but then when you're kind of with people that know where you come from, yeah, it's like, I'm like, my people want to talk to me. My wow. <laughs> that's it. That's right. So no, and it's, it's great. I've had a chance to talk to Janice a little bit more than Landon has. So we'll let Landon just kick us off with the first question and let's dive right in. This is going to be really good. I love your name. It sounds like a fine wine. (laughs) Thank you so much. So, I mean, I guess I'll just put this out there from the get-go. It's not my given name. Okay. I am, yes, I'm divorced and I was on my post-Mormon journey already when I got married many, many, many years ago and definitely trying to distance myself from my upbringing. And despite all of my very feminist thoughts and feelings at the time, I definitely, my husband's name was Formicella. And I was like, yes. So I grabbed it. I remember the first time that he told me his name, I started laughing. I'm like, Formicella? I'm from Mesa, Arizona. Okay. Like you don't come across <laughs> Formicellas very often. <laughs> and then, you know, many years later, we ended up getting married and I'm just like, how can you resist Formicella as your last name? And then when we got divorced, I just thought, it's it's just too good. It's it's me. I'm keeping it. It's too good. You may as well get something good out of it, right? Yes. And that name is it. So and I totally agree. Yes. Now, and now you've made a name for yourself out of it. So it's mm-hmm. you. I you think there's it. only That's one awesome. other Janice Formicella in the entire country. Ooh. So if I were to go on LinkedIn, it's you all the way. There you go. Could be easy to stalk her if we want to. <laughs> we're not encouraging that at all. Please. Yeah, no. well, not that we encourage that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Janice. Uh, you you uh, post-Mormon, obviously. Tell us a little bit about your journey and, and how you got to where you're at now. Sure. It's been a long journey. I'm not going to disclose how old I am. I don't think I've ever said. None of us do. Okay, cool. (laughs) But I will say that I've actually been out of the church for for like 20 years. And I know that that's going to sound kind of crazy to some listeners, especially considering that I'm so heavily involved with the post-Mormon community. Um, But I will say that from that day when I decided to do this to this day, it's never stopped being really difficult and it's never stopped impacting my life. And so I'm really excited to be involved with, with thrive and with this podcast. And, um, I still believe that my Mormonism is a big part of my identity. That's why I always say, you know, post Mormon or Mormon, but XLDS is what I really yeah. we like, like to, to term say. Mormonish. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's, that's our creed kind of here on the show. We always are on a soapbox saying we're still Mormon. We're still involved, whether our children are, our parents are, or just we culturally are. We still are. So, yep, you you Thank hit it you. right yes, there. Yes, I yeah. don't normally use the term ex-Mormon. I sometimes right. say post-Mormon, but I yeah. do often say ex-LDS because I do disavow um, the LDS church. But I still, for instance, you might find this really interesting. I, um, for instance, attend uh, the Daughters of Utah Pioneers oh. meetings. Oh. I'm very active with DUP. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm, must... I'm proud of my background for sure. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. How, are, how, how does that go over there? I mean, they're pretty protective of the... <laughs> doctrine and making sure nothing makes the church look bad how how does that go over in those meetings um, it's a little tricky i have to be honest and this could <laughs> perhaps be another episode it's yeah. it's definitely obvious to them nobody has like come out and approached me and asked if i'm mormon or not but i've been involved for many years and i mean everybody knows you know i'm showing up like with my shoulders showing and things <laughs> and things like Born that shoulders that's right yeah, you're just right. putting your shoulder to the wheel uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, completely. Completely. <laughs> yes. Oh, we, I love we that. We actually went to the museum down in St. George, <laughs> the U Daughters of the Utah oh, Pioneers. And fantastic. we were I going, haven't been to that one. Yeah, it's it's fairly it's fairly small, but we were walking around and we're all going, uh, I don't see anything about the uh, Mountain Meadow Massacre here. Can you tell yeah. me a little about that? Oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> and I know uh, there's that. been a couple times when they I was asked to do lessons and I just completely said, like, I can't do this like you know like I will for instance I was asked to give a lesson on uh, Mormon pioneers and relations with Native Americans oh, and they yeah. sent it to me and I full-on like emailed them back and I'm like I'm not yeah. reading this but <laughs> I will do my own my own thing and I have to say everybody in the group really loves me and thinks that I'm a, a kick I'm probably 30 years younger than anyone else who attends, <laughs> um, but <laughs> by far. You're going to inherit um, but the presidency. I just, that's right. You'll be the sitting president for decades when everyone else is gone. So I've actually totally wondered about that. Like, am I going to be recruited? <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, DUP, what is, it's not a church organization right. it's for celebrating our ancestors and right. i know when i decided to leave the church i definitely had it in me you know like how can like this is still a part of me how can you just like completely remove your background remove your ancestors my being raised in the mormon faith you know made me who i am and so and also like don't i have a right to still celebrate celebrate that and celebrate my ancestry i have some really cool women in my um, lineage who I want to recognize and know more about. And I feel like being a part of this group helps me, helps me to do that. And yes, there's been some very pro problematic <laughs> moments for sure, but I don't know. I kind of, I feel like this is my birthright yeah. and yeah, it's kind I of mean, a cool thing. The fact that your ancestors actually like went and started a state. I yeah. mean, that's nothing like, that's something that I feel like I should be able to own. Yep. Yeah, and there's Absolutely. nothing that says Utah pioneers have to be Mormon, I guess. Uh, a thousand percent. How, how do you do that? Is there a chapter in Denver or do you come Yeah, up there, Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's chapters. Um, we call them camps um, all over the country. And so I belong to the Denver camp. Okay. Mm -hmm. my, so and I so I guess I'll get back to your question. Originally, my family is from the Manti slash Spanish Fork area of Utah. Okay. However, I was raised in Mesa. So that would make me a Mesa. A Mormon 
And as some listeners may know, outside of Utah, this is probably the area with like the highest density of, of Mormons. Yeah. And certainly I grew up only knowing this this reality. Um, my, I definitely think that I came from a very devout, very orthodox <laughs> <laughs> Mormon background. I always like to joke that my dentist, my doctor, my principal were all Mormons. You know, it was the it was the only thing I ever I ever knew. And long story short, I ended up going to BYU Idaho, and um, I I walked in, you know, loving the faith, and I walked out knowing that I couldn't be a part of it anymore. <laughs> anymore uh, BYU breaking one testimony at a time right yeah um, that happened to me I worked at BYU I graduated with three degrees from BYU and I worked at BYU for decades and the mm -hmm. very same thing I think when you kind of see behind the curtain you start going hmm, this is not quite what yeah. I thought and that kind of it destroyed me yeah another, yeah mm -hmm. I thought that I was already living inside of a a Mormon reality growing up in, in Mesa. In fact, some listeners may be familiar with even the high school that I went to, which was called Heritage Academy, which was run by a group of ex-Mormon, yeah. or I'm, I'm sorry, Mormon ex-homeschoolers yeah. who decided to come together and, and form a school. And so, I mean, the, the number of non-Mormons that I was around even at, in high school was so, was so small. Right. And so I thought, you know, I was completely entrenched in the religion and then I get to BYU, Idaho. And it, it's, it, it was just like to an, to another level. Like I thought my parents were strict, you know, my dorm <laughs> mom was more strict than my mom, I, which yeah. I didn't think was possible. And uh, yeah, so I ended up leaving. I was super young. I was definitely the first person who I was aware of around me, who decided to not only leave, but then left and like continue to be healthy and like go to college and lead a, a productive life. And it was, yeah, lonely and scary. And I still don't have a relationship with my family to this day, which well, I, I was going to ask something... you about that because I've heard you yeah. on other podcasts talk about it was extremely difficult as far as what they did and their reaction mm -hmm. kind of going forward as you're a young adult. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that because to me, I hadn't quite heard anything like your story and how <laughs> brave and determined you were. I mean, when I listen to it, I think, what would I have done? Could So maybe talk a little bit about your parents' reaction if you're comfortable doing that. I am definitely comfortable okay. and the and one of the reasons I'm comfortable with it is because I know that this is kind of a taboo topic as far as parental relationships and also it was so devastating and I think inside of the post-Mormon community there's lots of hot topics mm -hmm. and I don't think that this is one of them and I think that a lot more attention needs to be given to the fact that entire families yeah. still to this day will completely turn away from someone if they make the choice that I made. Um, basically when I was at BYU, I was in my second year and my mental health was deteriorating. I mean, absolutely, you know, in the, in the danger zone and I decided to leave. And my, first of all, my parents made every threat in the book, as far as you've, you know, got to stay and I, I just couldn't. And I was, it was, I was just a hot mess. I don't know why someone was just like, how can we help her? But it was just like, you got to stay, you got to stay. So I did end up leaving. And actually after leaving what got kicked out of their house, which 
I don't know. It was such a long time ago. It's hard to, you know, explain what they were going through. But I remember the night that they were full on, like, if you don't go back, like, you can't come back here either. Like, good luck. And so I want to give you a hug. I'm sorry we're remote. That is just so devastating even just to hear about. I can't even imagine being young like that and already having issues and struggling and trying to figure it out. And then your safe space says, oh, no, you go back or hmm. I mean, I think that it meant a lot in my community that I was at BYU and to, you know, turn around and say, you know, like she's leaving was probably really embarrassing for them. But at the same time, uh, you know, you got to show up for your child, which they did not. And the cool thing is, though, I took about probably six months where I did the whole drinking, smoking (laughs) you know, rebelling. Yeah. 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 But I was always uh, in my heart wanting to go to college and like wanting to have a a career. And so I I thought smoking, drinking was going to college, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) Other colleges. (laughs) Hey, I I kept doing it, but (laughs) no. And Landon, I'll tell you in some of her other podcasts I've listened to, she talked about having such a drive, even from a very young age to have an education and a career, which is, we all know as a young woman in the church is very difficult because it resonated what you said when people say, well, how are you going to do that with kids? You know, same thing happened to me. How is that going to fit in with your family? You know, like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, how cute you want to maybe do something, but that's not really, but you you just had this determination. So I just love that about you. Like from such a young age and as orthodox as my family was, I just, I remember even like being in carpools going home in junior high and high school and all of us girls, you know, sitting around and talking about what we wanted to do and who we wanted (laughs) to marry. And I was seriously the only one who would talk about, you know, traveling and moving to New York and having a job. And (laughs) I also- What's wrong with her? Yes. And I had this little (laughs) tiny bit of, almost cynicism around what we were being, you know, what was shoved down our our throats. And I can say I stayed true to that to this day. And uh, despite the fact that I can think of very few people around me that supported that, which makes me sad, but I still think, you know, you know who you are at a, at a young age. And sometimes you, you have to take drastic measures to, to stay true to that and also to make make things happen which I did and I ended up going to ASU being just an absolute like stellar student just like rocking it like you can't believe and uh yeah at one point I I think it was like even the week after I told my parents that I had made honor roll and uh I think what what you're hoping that I'll tell is that I ended up getting disinherited um, about two or three years after leaving the church. My parents had given me the opportunity to continue to attend Institute, which after I left BYU, I had really no interest in doing. <laughs> I It was kind of to the point where I was like, I'm either going to suffer some sort of nervous breakdown and yeah, I don't even know. I had, I was suicidal even, yeah. or I have to just like walk away. And yeah. when I decided to walk away, I still remember the exact moment, like where I was sitting, where I'm just at, in my dining room table in my little apartment. And I was like, oh my God, like I could actually not do this anymore. Yeah. And just like, 
like almost like a balloon, just like the air just came out of it and just feeling so relieved. And I knew from that moment on that I was, that I was done. Um, and I think it was really hard for them to accept to the point that it was like almost two years later, um, that, that this happened. And yeah, they just came over one night and just said, like, you're completely cut off and you're done. Wow. <laughs> I had, I come from a very wealthy family and was using, you know, tr I was a trust fund kid, you know, <laughs> of which, you know, had some perks and I was told you don't get no perks no more. And it was very clear that it was because you're oh, yeah. no longer mm -hmm. involved in the LDS faith. I mean, that was what mm -hmm. it was. And and was it if you decided to return, then there would be a reconsideration or? That was a, a lot of people have asked just, me that. Yeah, and it was, I think it was kind of to the point that it was really obvious that I, there's, Janice ain't coming back, you know? <laughs> um, in fact, I was living with the man who I, I would eventually marry, the, the formicella. We weren't exactly open about that to them. But I, I think they knew. And I just think it was pretty obvious that I had crossed a, a point in my life that, yeah, the church was behind me. And you're going to love this. But actually, the excuse that they gave was the fact that I was taking women's studies classes. Oh. Not that I had what? actually left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. that They did not say the fact that you've left the church. They said the fact that you're now taking women's studies classes. I'm rarely speechless. Ask anybody on this show, but I feel like I'm speechless over that. I was, a, just, I, just I was feminist, as well. Feminist point of view or just women's rights or anything like that. They said women, this women's studies thing is not going to fly with us. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is just... <laughs> I know. I'm over Landon. I'm still I, can, I, I know. <laughs> I can sense that you are. I've seen people do that for their son that did, came back from a mission yeah. or that, but, you know, went to study women's studies at Arizona. Yeah. On the honor roll. Yeah. 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 On, on the honor, honor roll. That's a... Not just honor roll, but like known in like the entire community my right, school involved. at one point had sent me to the united arab emirates um to represent the college at a conference i mean i i was excelling and also yeah. i was happy and i was not happy when i was at byu i was miserable i was self-harming i was not happy you know i was shoveling away as a as a human and like to get from that point to where i was when i got disinherited it, it yeah it broke my heart it still did or excuse me it still does and so when that happened I hadn't been going to church for two years perhaps but I had never really considered re resigning and I know that I had this moment about two days later and I just thought you got to take a, a, a really hard stand like what this is wrong like whatever religion would encourage a parent to do this is evil. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I don't like to put it in such black and white terms, but I, and then I started like looking, investigating more and more into the history of the church and, and things. And that's when I read, no man knows my history or is that, do you guys edit this? We can. No, yeah. it's okay. It can either be no man or maybe Rustone Rolling. Those are the two that most people read. So it could be Fon Brody's No Man Knows My History. Yes. Or, so that's when I read is it that one. Yeah. No Man Knows My History for sure. I'm actually looking at it right now. Oh, and just kind of like <laughs> diving. 
diving deeper into the history of the church and just thinking, I mean, when I stopped going to church, I was just thinking, I don't want to die. You know, like I want to experience life. And so I have to stop doing this. And then when this happened, I actually started thinking, you know, like, this is a, a, a much bigger problem and a much bigger issue. So, and I actually wanted to take a stand. And so I actually did end up resigning, which was massive, especially at, at the time, but it felt, it felt amazing. And I just, I just thought to myself, there's no love in, in, a, in a religion that is like rooting a parent on to do this to their girl, <laughs> you know? So, so your initial leaving the church when you were at BYU or when you felt that it had nothing to do with, um, the church History. historical issues or no, anything. Oh, thank yeah, you so was, much. Yeah. Thank you. It was for just save my mental health. I'm yeah. dying. I mean, yeah. I was just completely miserable. And I just remember a couple different instances where I just, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm independent and I'm free and I'm curious about life. And I just felt just like squashed down constantly and not supported. And I never even wanted to go to BYU in the first place. Yeah. You yeah. know, I had all these other schools that I was applying to that I probably would have gotten into. And my parents said, the only school, you know, that you're going to have access to is going to be a church school. And so, and I, and it just, it wasn't for me type of situation. And because and my mental health just started deteriorating and i just remember there's a couple key moments where i thought you would be happier if if you weren't in the church it was had nothing to do with history or anything that i had found out it was just like this in, intuition inside of me like you got to get out <laughs> fight or flight i felt that a yeah. lot but mm -hmm. i stayed in for decades but i felt it all the time so you're kind of my hero at a very young oh, age that you. you just said that's it, you know, because I, I wouldn't have made it. I, I, yeah. it was really bad. I will say I did meet my ex-husband relatively soon after leaving BYU. And he was also from Mesa. He had never been Mormon, but he was from Mesa. And so, you know, he's so, very well Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can you not? <laughs> exactly. And he was extremely supportive and that, that did help me. I, I will say, yeah. I'm not really sure what I, what I would have done if I hadn't had him, but I do know that it was like a survival mode for sure. So did your parents, so they disinherited you financially. Did they also just leave your life? I mean, did they not want anything to do with you or was it just that you're not you know, you're just disinherited financially. What, what do they mean? That's been, exactly? that, it's been really interesting with them the last 20 years or so. Um, one of my favorite stories is, you know, they came over on their date night to tell me that I was being disinherited. <laughs> and I, I mean, I would, yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. It's our date night. We want to visit you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and we're oh. sitting there and they just like drop this bomb on me. And I, I was like, pissed um one of my brothers was on his mission at the time and you know like we got into this conversation about like where are the funds going and as soon like it, it would just like you know got into an argument and they stormed out of my apartment and <laughs> yeah like sunday so this was friday and sun or sunday of the next week my mom calls and she's like hey you gonna come over for sunday dinner just like completely acting you know like it didn't even happen <laughs> Which I don't know what, how the two of you feel, but I 
think that there's something very deeply ingrained in lots of Mormons yeah. as far as avoidance goes. Yeah. And, and denial. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, mm -hmm. it's absolutely. And just keeping up the facade, you know, like that. So yeah, you can do something horrific one day and the next day. Aren't we okay? It's all good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was, I just wasn't having it. And so we ended up going about three years without talking at all. In fact, I got married and, you know, didn't tell them. And then we've kind we went on and off trying to rebuild things a few times through the years, but it was very unhealthy and definitely I'm the oldest of seven. Uh, okay. <laughs> so if that gives you any idea about, you know, yeah. the type of Mormon family I come from. Is, is and your it was dad just... like stake president or <laughs> high leadership or is it just a deep rooted belief? It's a deep rooted belief. My dad is the Spanish fork person in the family. So very, he's the, you know, the side of the family that goes, you know, back to the pioneer. Nabu, Kirtland, the reason you're a daughter of the pioneer. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, oddly enough, he never held a high position, which I am not too sure. I've thought lots about why that is. I have uncles who have been bishops and stake presidents. Uh, my dad, not, but you know, certainly his identity is tied up in, in the church. Uh, for sure. Yeah. A lot so, of times when, you know, when you're more wealthy that you, you end up in those. Yeah, leaves. for sure. I know. And so I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't know. I so thought about taken, it a lot. Have mm -hmm. they taken, do they know that you're involved with the daughters of the Utah pioneers? Cause I would think that would be something that would be at least, uh, well, there's a redeeming quality <laughs> in our daughter is that she's following <laughs> her Mormon heritage, you know, yeah. but in yeah. So even to apply for Daughters of the Utah Pioneers, you, it, it's a very lengthy, lengthy application process. And so certainly everyone knew that I was doing it. I had to get family records. I'm just I'm looking around me right now because uh, I wish that I could show you what you have to go through. You have to step by step, like outline every one of your family members that goes back to before the camp came to Utah. Wow. And so, you know, we're talking about, you know, new <laughs> numerous generations so yeah everyone knew everyone in my family knows um but i don't know we've never really gotten to the point that of understanding and acceptance around it at all and i will have to say as far as my siblings go as well it's it's been really rough yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And now that you say that you're the oldest, I know there's that sense in families where you got to keep the oldest in line, because if you oh, don't, yeah. then the youngest might see that there's another path. Do you feel that that was part of it too, being the a oldest? A thousand percent, a thousand percent. I mean, I grew up with your, you know, the message of your younger brothers and sisters yeah. are looking They're up looking to you. I mean, you. Uh, yeah. you know, like the exact opposite of what any therapist would say to yeah, a parent to like sure. <laughs> tell their oldest. Oh, a thousand percent. And I think when I I left I I assumed that there was things said about about that because I've never had any support or like outreach from any of my siblings which bums me out and I've certainly tried but I you know I think at a certain point I just had to get to the the acceptance that this is just how it is mm -hmm. which is it's very sad and no, it's, mm. it's tragic. And I think sometimes parents, you know, like you said, they're in that situation where there's a lot of pressure on them. There's appearances and especially yes. with their oldest, 
you know, they try to, you know, they've really got to try hard and they don't even know what they're doing because you're the oldest, right? All in, in, I think yeah, my mom is like 19. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. You, they've never had a college age daughter before. They don't know what to do. So I, I oh. wonder if they're slightly different with your other siblings. I mean, that's incredible to me that all your siblings would still be staunchly in and, mm-hmm. but I guess. I mean, as far as I know, to be perfectly honest, I really don't have any relationship Uh, with them. So as far as I know, everyone has stayed in, uh, but I, I, I don't really know what's going on. I've tried and, you know, I've tried so hard to reestablish things with my parents, including, um, you know, after my divorce, I stayed with them for a very short period of time. I hated it (laughs) and then stayed with them again. I ended up after my divorce being um, finding myself or choosing to be in a very abusive relationship. And when I finally ended that, I stayed with them again for a very short period of time. And it was just like each time I, it was just like so unwelcoming, so hostile Mm -hmm. that I, I, you know, I had, I had to leave. And it's also why I eventually became a breakup coach. And and, and did they (laughs) they point to you know, well, you wouldn't have been divorced yes. if you were. Yes. In uh, the, you know. yeah. 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 So as far as my Hold divorce goes, up, right? <laughs> uh, like a thousand percent, the victim blaming and everything that I went through is shocking. When I got divorced, I remember my mom coming into my room one night and saying that she really felt I wouldn't have all of the problems I have in my life if I would have kept the word of wisdom. It's I mean, a, I'm okay. It's amazing <laughs> yeah. to me uh, as a, as a daughter of the Utah pioneer, you probably, uh, you may have researched this, but like the first four or five prophets all got divorced. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know that that's a key, uh, indicator. Well, I, I wasn't like a heavy drug user or big drinker. I mean, they, you know, knew that I, I did these things, but I wasn't like I was walking around the house smoking or drinking. Yeah. And then um, I will say when I left my abusive relationship, I was flat out like sat down and told that everything that had happened was my fault because I knew that my ex was had a drinking problem and I chose to stay with him anyway and that they did not feel that I deserved their support. So because you love somebody for who they were, that's wrong. You got to well, love so, I mean, somebody knowing for who they're not. <laughs> right. I, I, I know. Like it's, I know it's, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. I mean, like, can you not, when your child is, you know, going through this yeah. devastation, like Google, how to support my daughter. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was yeah, the exact opposite. And I, you know, I understand that, you know, some people are very sheltered, but it was, I, it was just like from the moment I decided to leave, it was never like a welcoming, safe, safe place for me, the, the, the way that you would hope it would be. I just, I think it's so funny that parents are so different. We were just talking to someone the other day who said that when the family was young, the parents sat them down and said, we don't care what you do in your life. You will always be welcome. There's nothing you can do, you know, (laughs) and this stuck with this person, you know, very young, like a kid in family night. He said they announced this in family night, you know, and it's true. A lot of the family has left and whatever, and the the family relationship is still good. So everyone's in the same church. They're hearing the same things, yet parents have such a different take on it. This person's parents said, you'll always be our child and we don't care. 
compared to parents that are more like your parents that's so conditional and so many stipulations on the relationship and the love. It's just very interesting to it me. It is. And I interpret I always, the teachings of the church, you know, it, it is. And I always, when I talk about, you know, my post-Mormon journey on podcasts, I always want to say that I do know of families who have been very welcoming to their children. And that's, and that's, beautiful to me. I, but at, at the same time, I never felt that way. Um, I remember when I was first kind of like thinking about resigning, I don't know, did you, did it do any of, do either of, you know, of the book, um, secret ceremonies, it came out in the nineties, like early nineties. I don't remember the author, but it was pretty much the first, expose about you know like inside of like the, temple the temple and yeah and so you hadn't what, gone through the temple though because you know I hadn't the temple and you left early okay but yeah you're reading this book but I, I I I went to the Mesa Public Library and I checked out everything that there was and I in fact I'm looking over here at the book and um and I remember I I couldn't sleep for day for like the entire time I was reading it and it got to and I got to the end of the book and the woman said you know the one thing that she was most thankful for was how supportive her father had been and I just completely lost it and was bawling and inconsolable and my husband or my boyfriend at the time was already sleeping and you know I walked upstairs and just you know like <laughs> <laughs> and you know I I woke him up and you know I told him that I finished the book and I and I said um my my family's never going to forgive me mm. and I was right and you were right <laughs> mm -hmm. that, what a story and so were you were you always then so you did resign you officially resigned yes. Yes. right Mm -hmm. But then were you always, now you're a post-Mormon all of a sudden, were you still close to things in Mormonism that were happening or did you take a long break? Because in a minute, <laughs> we're going to talk about all the wonderful things she's doing now to oh, support post-Mormons. <laughs> but I'm just wondering in that meantime, did you have yeah. to just go, okay, I don't want to know anything about this or were you still, you know, actively kind of around it, in it, but not of it, right? I love talking to other Mormons so much. I love that reference right there. <laughs> yeah. So for the rest of the time that I lived in Arizona, certainly I was around it. I mean, you yeah. can't really escape it. And also I will say being in Arizona as an ex-Mormon fascinates people. And certainly at the time... <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely known as as the ex-Mormon. Oh, I yeah, the only was... person at the mob yeah. with porn. Oh, there she is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my friends would introduce me and, you know, like say, oh, and, you know, she's so cool for this and that, which I, I thought was I thought was great. So certainly I did keep really uh, I kept in touch with what was going on. I definitely held on to this as part of my identity. I loved the fact that people knew that I had left i mean it's 20 years ago so this is yeah no one know, like, was this leaving zany yeah. thing yeah <laughs> if you don't get the scent like no one was leaving 20 yeah. years ago i can't name one maybe one person like 15 years ago i knew of but it was yeah 
you were a trendsetter. That is thank, for sure. Thank you. And, and my, you know, never mo friends love that about me for yeah. sure. And so, and I, I embraced that. I ended up going to grad school in New York. And the funny thing is in New York, it, I was received in the exact same way. Anytime that anybody found out about my Mormon background, it was just like, whoa, like tell me everything and questions to the point that, you know, four or five years in, it's like, Maybe I shouldn't mention this anymore because now it's like this That's is what everyone wants are. to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. There's the postman. Yeah, she was in a cult or whatever they say, right? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, yeah. people are fascinated with yeah. with Mormonism and would ask me questions. And yeah. um, when I was in Arizona, I loved it. And then in New York, it's like like I'm kind of starting to shape my identity around other things. What was a bit of a turning point is. I, I did get divorced. The marriage didn't work out, you know, to say the least. <laughs> um, and then I, I, as I mentioned, I was in a very abusive relationship about a year and a half, two years after that. And then I ended up moving to Australia. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So divorce, bad relationship. And then I moved to Australia for five years. Oh my gosh. I just got back to the States not quite three years ago. And when I was in Australia, like no one gives a shit about Mormonism. Yeah, you're really <laughs> far away from it there. That you, So you kind of, you Mesa, then a little farther east, then yeah. you're, just, you're completely 18 hours by plane away. Right. So, wow. But a freeing, mm. right? Because then that isn't your identity anymore. You're just you. Amazing That's you. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't tied up. I, you know, I wasn't identified with anything related to Mormonism. Some people said that they had heard of it, but it was not, it nobody it was it's not like oh my god <laughs> yeah. the way that it is here at all and also because I was coming out of this abusive relationship when I was back in the states I was also really tied to that like pretty much everyone in my circle knew that I was a survivor and that you know I had been in this destructive cycle for uh, you know a couple of years so I go to Australia and nobody knows me as a survivor no one knows me as an ex-Mormon and it was it was great and yeah it's wonderful new you. <laughs> yeah it That's was right. definitely like new, new, new hemisphere <laughs> new you <laughs> uh and I, I i loved it and i really really thrived and the re oh i thrived thrived that's a little <laughs> foreshadowing for the rest of our interviews <laughs> what were you doing there what how did you just Took off. To oh, so okay. So I guess uh, yeah. The way the reason I end up ended up going there is um. So besides being a breakup coach, I'm also a freelance writer, and I had a client at the time after my breakup who really needed help with a project, and she kind of knew that I was going through some tough times, and just was like, "What would you think about coming here for a month and helping me with this?" And I went for a month, and I ended up staying for five <laughs> years. Oh. Mm -hmm. and what an opportunity it was it was really good for me in a lot of ways I really then like took I then like really clung to this idea of being Australian which wasn't really as healthy for me and that's why I stayed for five years is I was just like constantly clinging you know to it to a new identity which I only learned recently like 
you can figure that out on your own. I was always like looking externally for these things. And so when things were going so well for me in Australia, I thought, well, the only way to be happy is to stay in Australia. And so I, the reason I stayed for five years is that I went on this path to residency that ended up being a complete dead end. (laughs) Um, But uh, the entire time there was very little in my life that was related to Mormonism, including the fact that I didn't even hear from my family the, almost the entire time that I was there. I remember calling them on Christmas and my parents being like, what country are you in? It it was just like <laughs> doing my own thing, living my own best slash worst life. And so <laughs> when I decided to come back to the States, um, I just, de- I also decided like, let's give this one more shot, you know, as far as things with my family goes. And it was completely devastating and horrible. And that's why I decided to get involved with Thrive. Wow. <laughs> wow. And why don't you, because t- we do have some people that listen that aren't Mormons. Tell us what Thrive is, because this is just amazing. And it speaks completely to your story. People that have lost community, lost mm-hmm. family, and just just tell us what this is and how you're involved. I would absolutely love to. It's become something that I'm so passionate about and so proud of. So Thrive is Thrive Beyond Religion, and it is largely a a group for people who are on their post-Mormon journey to come and find new communities. And so we organize regionally. There are groups around the world, and I operate one that's in Denver. I started about a year ago and it's grown like crazy. I cannot even believe it. Denver is a really interesting place as far as the Mormon corridor goes, given that we're at the bottom of the Mormon corridor. <laughs> Get a map. You're right. It's kind of- <laughs> and a lot of people though, come to Colorado wanting to kind of es- escape Utah or escape yeah. Mormonism do things a different way, but they don't want to go too far. You know, like it's very accessible. It's obviously very close to Utah. And so there's a really, really ripe opportunity here for bringing people together and helping them. I think almost everybody who's in active in the group has, is a Denver or a Colorado transplant from Utah, to be honest. And just like, we're sick of it, but you know, we didn't want to move too far. You know, it's still in the Southwest, and, you know, Denver is an easy place to move, but like, what do we do now? And so here we are. Right. Here it is. <laughs> and creating new community, new family, almost creating yeah. your own family. I think a lot of people are in that situation where you've got to choose your family because your own family hasn't chosen you anymore. And to one degree or another. So mm-hmm. that's wow. Yeah, that's a, such an interesting concept. And it's something that I go back and forth about a lot, you know, like, do we need to label it family? Can we not yeah. just label it friends? What does community right. mean? But I do know growing up Mormon, something that we can all understand is, is the sense of belonging and the sense of community. And I think that that's why Thrive has been so successful around around the world is that as soon as you leave, that's the biggest thing that you miss is is the sense of belonging Mm. that's definitely when i left that was uh, i I couldn't find anybody everyone i knew was mormon and i was you know i was reaching out reaching out and then of course covid hit and then there was no groups to even look for so yeah we uh, we we found thrive my wife actually 
found the first Thrive, the big one at the uh, Salt Palace, and we went to that. And uh, from there, we've kind of gone to a couple others, and just we like the small groups. That that's what's really uh, fun is the groups. Yeah, I think so too. And what's really cool about the Denver group, we meet every month, no matter what. But there's little like segments. I mean, people say that they're cliques, but I just like to say that they're communities. You know, so many people are going and, you know, having game nights and doing things on their own and really forming, you know, like really tight knit uh, groups of friends. In fact, I never even set out to do this, but I think most of the people who I most spend time with are people I've met through Thrive. Yeah. <laughs> and part of it is having the understanding and having just like the general language, not having to right. explain to people, why right. don't you talk to your mom? Like, why aren't you going home for Thanksgiving? And <laughs> I really, I really enjoy that. And also like the little inside jokes, you know, the way that you just said earlier, yeah. um, in, not in the world, but yeah. not of the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's that definitely type. a vernacular <laughs> and someone has compared it to like veterans. If, you know, if you're a veteran and you go to a group with other vets, they, you, it's unspoken. You know what you've been through. You know what your history is, and you can move forward from there. And that's exactly what Thrive. I think when you show up, if you don't know a soul, you you still sort of do know that they're you, all there for for you know a similar backstory to when you are so another, right. So. And there is this recognition almost being around other post Mormons, and it's so hard to describe to people who you know, don't know it. Um, but I, it's something that I really, really value. And it's something also I have to say, you know, I've been on this continual journey with my family. And as I said, you know, it's just continued to disintegrate and get worse. And it was only my friends from Thrive who were supportive of, you know, decisions that I ultimately had to make because, you know, they, they got it. I had a lot of friends outside of the Mormon world who were like, come on, like you could make it work, forgive, do this, do that. And all of my Mormon friends were like, nah. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah done. <laughs> and we get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember when I when I left, uh, my wife was still in and she'd say stuff like, oh, why don't you why don't you go talk to your friend who was a not a Mormon at all, never been a Mormon. And I'm like, he would just say, leave the so don't go to church what's the big yeah, deal and yeah, and he would not what, what do you mean that's a problem with your family why why does your family care where you go <laughs> you know they just don't understand it that you have to be yeah. a part of it to understand it and especially and you know i mean I, we're all you know people of a certain age and just you know to <laughs> have someone understand how much this still impacts you and how much i mean i'm culturally a, a mormon yeah. and to have other yeah. people understand what that means and you know like talking about jello and family prayer and family <laughs> you know home evening yep. these are things that i felt stripped of when I left and thinking that I had to walk away from all of it and not right. having anyone to have these jokes or any type of, you know, camaraderie. Right. And for a long time, I, I didn't certainly not until I got involved with thrive uh, a year ago because no one else had left at that, yeah. at that point. And it was it, really lonely and, you know, sitting at a bar and hearing people, you know, make fun of missionaries, it, it hurt me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and 
so I I really appreciate having friends with yeah some similar background. Yeah, and I think okay. I mean there are things I think we all uh still look at like fondly like you say it's you're growing up so you're not you're not just throwing everything out that's all part of your heritage and culture so when you hear someone making fun of missionaries you're like well no those are little guys they're out there you don't I'm understand like what they've done you know you have a protective a yeah, yeah my son's on a mission and yeah. so of course and then and I'll tell anybody I grew up you know as a young woman in the 70s and 80s in Washington state it was wonderful the activities were incredible water skiing was all we did you know I mean oh my was, god hello girls camp yeah yeah. Hello, girls camp back in the day. In fact, I feel sorry for Mormon girls now because boy, it was different back then. <laughs> like it was, you it know, was so, so I have very hook. good memories. Yeah. And I, you know, built in Same. friend groups. So I don't want to bash all those things because that was my growing up. And when I gather with other Mormons, like at Thrive or wherever else, or like the book club that we run together, Landon and I run together. Uh, we talk about all that stuff because it's okay to still say, okay, I, I did like that, you know, and then you distance yourself from the things that aren't good, but it's your childhood. It's your young adulthood. Yeah, like, I mean, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Just no, like I laugh our back, like yeah, on our, <laughs> on our life. You told a story on another podcast I heard you on about the young woman's recognition medallion. So that told me, you know, we, we grew up in the, you know, we understand what that is. So, yes, you know, and you. her story, tell that story for Landon. And then I'll tell my story. Cause I was like, we got to share our medallion stories because everyone would, has one. So I would absolutely, you know what that is, Landon? Do you know, know what that yeah, is? I know what the young woman medallion Yeah, instead of Boy Scout, you did all these different things. Yeah. Okay. So and tell your story. Get up in front of the sacrament and they'd present it to you. Yeah, you know, when I, I'm so old that they didn't even do that. They would just hand it. To you, you know, but anyway, listen to Janice's story. This is another horrifying so, event in her life. No, oh, no, it is actually. And I have to say, as far as trauma goes, yeah. I mean, these are still things that keep yeah. me up at night. These For are sure. still things that I cry over. And I love that you're chuckling about it. Like, do not feel bad about that. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, but it's called the Personal Progress Award, or at least it was when I was growing up. And it is definitely the equivalent or was the equivalent equivalent of the Eagle Scout. Mm -hmm. And basically it's an opportunity for girls from 12 to 18 to earn things along the way from 12 to 14 to 14 to 16, 16 mm -hmm. to 18. <laughs> and then with the end goal being that you get your personal progress medallion. I've always been an overachiever. Okay. <laughs> and so I was into it and always got them i was so, uh, very excited about participating in the program for sure and uh, rebecca something that you texted me about the other day was this issue with um being called into the bishop's office <laughs> always I don't know yeah. why, <laughs> like, why in the world are you going to subject teenagers to this torture yeah. but it was basically my story and I don't know what the story of the elders around me would be I had a very normal teenage libido and I never had sex in high school but I definitely made out and yeah. what would they say in in Mormondom heavy petting yeah <laughs> what the hell that means I mean I <laughs> so basically for people listening who have never been Mormon I'd probably say that anything further than kissing as yeah. a teenager or outside of marriage in general right. is something that you're very compelled to confess which 
I, which I did. And they, and, you know, I, and in my senior year of high school confessed numerous times because I'm 17 years you're old normal. and my boyfriend <laughs> is 18. And again, yeah. like we, you know, it's just, I feel so sad for myself because I even remember my boyfriend at the time and he was quite, a, you know, charming, lovely guy, but it was just like every time that we would, you know, go past this or that, I just felt like I had to let my bishop yeah. know, yeah. which is just gross. Yeah, you got to tell the electrician down the street yeah. that you right. did this with your boyfriend. Yeah, that's important. And then he calls <laughs> the plumber. That's and the he other calls boys the plumber bishop, and they and talk the about talk. you. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, I remember walking into my bishop's office one time. The ward secretary had come and pulled me out of my laurels class <laughs> to talk to my bishop. And then I get into my bishop's office and my parents are sitting there. Oh, oh my like, goodness. I never yeah. had that. I was hauled out of class a lot, but I never had my parents there. Yeah, just sitting there like, you know, and this oh, is, you know, going to be goodness. like this group discussion. And again, not that having sex in high school is bad. It was just like it hadn't even gotten to that point. Yeah. And I think a lot of people listening, the two of you especially, will be familiar with the bishop roulette concept. Yeah. Oh, totally. And that is that some of them are you know, lovely, yeah. wonderful people. And a lot of them are not. And yeah. mine was not. <laughs> and some will say, just try to do better because they understand you're normal teenagers. Others mm. will say, oh my, it's literally, yeah. you are headed to hell or, you know, it's that kind of thing. So that's the roulette side of it. You don't know what kind of a person you're talking to or what the reaction Yeah. And he was furious with me and I remember times that he was you know even getting like pounding his desk I remember there was times that I went in to you know confess making out with my boyfriend and he wanted to know like very specific yeah. details mm -hmm. um and I, even oh, it only I only realized even a year ago and I've been out for this long that that was inappropriate just yeah. because this was the context that I was raised in and I just figured you know like he's your bishop he has to like decide if he's going to forgive you or not or like what your right. penance is going to be and so obviously he would ask you these things it was even after the whole um Sam Young thing yeah that I I had any idea that this <laughs> this was Isn't weird. that funny? No. And, and the very first thing that I ever did that was like a step of overtly saying it was wrong, what happened to us as kids, is when Sam Young had his website and he asked everybody to write in a story. Because I had bishops that basically taught me the facts of life with their invasive questions and the things, yeah. the information that they gave me way too young to even hear about it. So inappropriate. You know, and I didn't realize like you that it was wrong or that I was triggered or I had even PTSD. as an ex-Mormon. So, yeah, not... exactly. So mm -hmm. one of the I when Sam and I don't remember how many years ago it was when they wrote everybody could write in their story and they put it in a book that they were taking to the apostles. And it's the first kind of like, you know what, I'm going to write my story. It's not as bad as other people's, but it was bad for me, you know? And so I did. And that was like this first little step to go, okay, I did that. Well, what else can I do? You know? So I do, I've, I've always wanted to tell Sam Young that, that that was my first little step where I realized it wasn't okay. And there are things I can do about it now. So I totally, well, and you to should that. tell him because I'd, I'd I like think, to, if you're you listening know, to him, we'd love to have him on the hero. show and talk about the story. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he'd come on. He's very, I he's a very so. accessible man. Yeah. Um, even with that though, I, you know, I was listening to a Mormon stories episode 
four or five months ago where they actually read a letter from somebody who said that they had been set down by their bishop and asked all these specific things. And John DeLynn and his co-host were like, oh my God, Horrified, like, this is crazy. Right. And I'm like, that's what my bishop did. Yeah. I thought that was oh. normal. Yeah, no. I mean, he was full on like, where did he put his hands? Yeah. Oh, did yeah. He have an erection. Yeah, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, and I'm sitting there 17 already feeling bad yeah and, and your parents and are sitting next to you no oh, maybe okay. not in that one separate <laughs> okay <laughs> these are separate instances yeah. i mean this was my bishop i mean th this was just like multiple multiple things yeah in fact what um so after i told him all of these details that's when he brought my parents in okay yeah it was just like this continual nightmare like <laughs> I'm 17, you know, I'm trying to do, do my best. And so I'm, I'm confessing this and confessing it. And then at one point I went in to confess again and again, I'm like trying to be a good Mormon girl. Obviously I wasn't, you know, considering that I had done these things, but I don't know. Normal. Like, I think you're yeah. normal. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 normal. Yeah. Thank you so much for affirming that because I'm like, you know, I can't eat. I can't sleep until I tell my bishop. Right. I, I did that. So I think it was the third time probably in my senior year that I had gone and done this. And the third time that I did it, not only was he pissed, he calls BYU, tries to get me like un- admitted you had been accepted to BYU yeah. you were yeah. headed there and so he tried to undo it can you yeah, believe that Landon out. yeah not even sex, yeah just making out yes not even close off and he called <laughs> them and told them everything and then uh I don't know a month later or so you have to get your personal progress award approved by your bishop mm -hmm. Ooh. and I had done all the work you know from 12 to 18 <laughs> And I go in there and I'm just like, you know, like so excited. And, and he, and he flips through it and he, then he said it right back in front of me. And he said, I appreciate all the work that you've done, but like, you don't represent, you know, what's oh my goodness. a good Mormon girl. He, and he was just like, sorry, but you're like, this isn't happening. Oh, after, after six years. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. And he was just like, no. <laughs> and. And I, I mean, even um, as a Laurel, which it was at the time, we do what's very similar to an Eagle Scout project. And I don't exactly remember what mine was, um, but, you know, I had done all of all of the work and like gotten all these awards and he was just like, mm. no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that is devastating. Yeah, it yes. is devastating. <laughs> in fact, I can still like, it's still kind of in my body now, just think, thinking yeah. of like, like my entire family is expecting me to get this. All of the women in my young women's class are expecting me right. to get this. Like, what am I going to say to How people? are you going to explain it? Yeah. Right. And I just, I, uh, we had a Ford Taurus is what I drove around <laughs> when I was a senior. And I just remember just like very sheepishly going back to the car with like all of these papers and just like sitting down and just completely losing it, just crying and not, not knowing what to do. And there was nothing you can do. Oh. 
I literally, I want to find you a young woman's medallion on eBay and buy it and send it to you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Unless that would be too triggering. So, Uh, you know what? Actually, maybe that that would be awesome. It might be kind of fun. There's a resurgence. They're actually worth a lot now because people are looking for them, you know, which is funny. So, oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. People like trying to find them. Like you can look on Etsy (laughs) and you can look on eBay and people are selling them. And, and the older ones, like the ones, you know, when I was, because I was a young woman in the late 70s and early 80s, and those are really hard to find. But I mean, my story is kind of even more ridiculous because I, the things that, and, and I think you got yours a little, I don't think you were seventies. Like I was in eighties. The the tasks that you had to write down in the personal progress were ridiculous. Like learn to groom your nails or. It was crochet, very similar. You know. It was yeah. very similar. And, in and the, I just remember going, 90s. these are ridiculous. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. look what the boys are doing. And so I kind of led a little campaign in my friend group. I said, let's not get these. Let's put our foot down. Let's say no to this. Let's refuse to get it. You know, I was like, Norma Ray. Yeah. And so I did not accept it. I did not get it. And I was really proud of myself until my freshman year, first Sunday in the dorms at Heritage Halls. I've got, you know, the six of us living there. Everybody wakes up in the morning on Sunday and they all put on their necklace and we're all getting ready. I'm like, Oh my God. I I don't even know if I can go to church. What have I done? I mean, I could have gotten one. I just said, no, I was trying to take a little stand. So I thought, well, no one's going to date me now. You know? So I think I walked well, around because that first men Sunday were told like to... this. Yeah. I had like a chain on, but I was kind of like this. So no one to know I didn't have a medallion. So maybe both of us now need to look on Etsy and see if we can find something. <laughs> also, maybe this can be some sort of thrive women's thing that uh, oh, we can no? all. I, I can't yeah. imagine dating at BYU. All the girls are oh. reaching over filling for the yeah, no. I know okay the can i say one thing no the guys were looking for that medallion because that oh man, yeah they were to told and groom yes. her nails so and that she mm-hmm. hadn't made out with a lot of boys because she had one so see that's how you pick your wife <laughs> we were taught as women to only date return missionaries uh-huh. and when i was coming up it was definitely like this heavy emphasis on yep. the eagle scout thing yeah. and i believe that men were taught to definitely look for the personal progress yeah. award oh yeah so i want to point out um i've always been sought after by men like my entire life up to this point um like to the like it's a i don't know it's just right been now e- this second it's been, yes it's been <laughs> somebody's ringing your doorbell as we're recording <laughs> i get it i I've get got it flowers there <laughs> um and i have to say though when I was at BYU Idaho, I never got ass out. Yeah, and you're it, too dangerous. You look dangerous. I guess so. Personality. That's why. And you <laughs> I didn't have, have the medallion, <laughs> and it was torture for yeah. me. It was horrible. I yeah. hated it because mm-hmm. everything at BYU Idaho is about dating and Friday right. nights and holding and hands and yeah. the engagement, and it. I felt I. Seriously, felt like something was wrong with me. I was yeah. like, well, the entire time I was in high school, everyone wanted to go out with me. And like now nobody, yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening? And yeah, your bishop, your bishop called them. That's why <laughs> they wore yeah. the whole dang school. No, <laughs> it wasn't that funny. I got advice from my young women's leader. They said, now when you're dating in college, uh, choose return missionaries, right? Of course. And what you do is you make sure that they're wearing garments. You look for 
that little line there. Or I remember one leader told me, gently rub your hand across his thigh and make sure that, which is weird advice, but it was supposed to be checking for the garment line, you know, just, and then my other young women's leader said, yeah, but be careful. She said, there are young men that are not return missionaries and they put masking tape around oh, their arms and God. thighs yeah. so that when you feel for the, you feel something. And all I can think about is what happens if then you get in an intimate situation, like masking tape. I mean, come on. That, there could it's be anything very weird. That's so weird. <laughs> I've never heard like, of seriously, that. I seriously almost want to try it. I know. It's really strange. <laughs> but Landon is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I've heard of Yeah, I've heard of it. He's my, like, I've done that. No, <laughs> my, my father was a convert. And uh, I I know he, he was a convert when he was younger. He was like 16, 17. But I, I think some of his brothers and stuff, they, they never were. So uh, I'd heard stories that for dating and stuff that that's <laughs> or wow. surgical tape you just have to have that line so that when a girl line. goes yep. oh you know you're like you know oh. what i have to say and which i maybe i shouldn't but i cannot look at a single picture of mitt romney <laughs> without looking for it well and sometimes they're not like the wife her she's often like it seems like has where you're like yeah, i know and that's just ingrained <laughs> you just look you just check that's what you do because that's a barometer of what kind of person this is yeah. and how you're going to treat them you just look it's what it is it's so. like babies learn faces mormons yeah. learn garment lines the you outward know. signs Completely. <laughs> right. and also it's it's a very specific culture yeah. and that is why i'm so incredibly thankful for what you know clint martin has done with yeah. starting thrive because yep. like this is weird you know <laughs> like this is a very unique upbringing the fact yep. like all of this and having people around you who who get it is is so meaningful yeah. no and we should say that that it's clint and his wife jenny and you know they're connected to the open stories foundation and just you know they they put so much of their own time and resources and energy and efforts into just uh, they recently started landon and i are involved in this it's called sunday thrive and it's like it's a church it's not a church it's a secular <laughs> social experience and we had our first one last month the next one is coming up for those of listeners in utah um in a couple of weeks on the 19th but you know music right the opening song was don't stop believing you know and then we had a fun speaker and then we had a meditation and everybody brought food and we hung out for hours you know, you know? what's so different is clint you know you go to a church activity and it's always Oh, what's the budget, you know? And it's like, yeah. oh, we got $20 to yeah. feed the ward, you know? <laughs> that, but you go to dishes. these things and you're like, how much is a ticket? Oh, it's $20. And it's an open bar. And you know, I've been yeah. to the meetings and Clint just says, here's my credit card, put it yeah. on. I'm going, what a He's difference so between generous. a church that has billions so of dollars and this yeah. man who opens his wallet and yeah. says, you know, I'll take care yeah. of it. Um, I just want it to be successful. And he takes the whole risk on it. And he does. What, what and a it makes such a difference. Like my my major takeaway from this Thrive Sunday, and it started snowing so hard. And we're like, Aww. oh, is anyone gonna be there? You know, but yeah, we had what we say, Landon, like about 80 people or so. Yeah. But I mean, oh, it was, cool. you know, that was, was what no, the freeway shut down. So. That was when the, the people were piling up on the freeway. Oh. It was a snowstorm. But the thing about it is so after this little informal meeting, you know, where everybody could, you know, have this little meditation meditation and talk. And then everyone sat around eating, but you know, no awkwardness. Sometimes in big groups, you find awkwardness or people don't know what to say. Just that, that we've all been where we've all been. 
everybody was instantly engaged in these you just deep, hear that hum conversations and i was like yeah. look at this this is incredible no one is alone here everyone is talking and you could tell it was really meaningful conversation you know and so i had someone that, that i knew come up and say oh can i ask you a question i'm like of course he's like i know you have a son on a mission my son i think is going to go can i ask you really personally what do you do about paying or not paying i mean that's a very personal who right. else are you going to ask that to except for finding somebody Yes. gathering like that that's going through this very specific oh my god experience. we so have had it made me really happy and i know that's happening everywhere in thrive and you're one of the people that facilitates that where you are so it's wonderful it really I, is. thank you so much yeah. and i it really stands out to me that you had this experience of someone approaching you about something so specific specific yeah we have had like half dozen people in our group over the last couple of months who have gone on cruises with their families who have full on been like, can I drink? Should I drink? Right. What should I do? My parents How do I navigate this? I'm like, talk about a specific thing. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and no one else would understand yeah. over and over yeah. and over again, this whole issue of the dad's taking us all on a cruise. Yeah. We've left. What should we do? Yeah, or he like wants first... to have church on Sunday, right? When you go on the family's cruise <laughs> and you have to go to church, you know, I hear that all the time. Yeah. But how do you navigate that? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Right. The first time it happened, I'm like, that sucks, yes. you know, for you. <laughs> and then the second time I'm like, oh, well, you should, you know, talk to so-and-so. And the third time I'm like, we, yeah, this is we start a separate group <laughs> for families going on cruises, navigating yeah. a post-Mormon life. So <laughs> you know, I think this is great. So, and then I think that we huge shout out to thrive and everything it's doing. And there's a giant thrive day coming up in March on the 18th where thrives everywhere are going to be meeting. So if, if any of our listeners are not involved in thrive, go to thrive beyond religion org and just look up a group or if there's not a group start a group i mean you can do it it's just a way to make community but i think we also need to for sure talk about the other wonderful huge project that you're involved in and that is your own podcast please introduce tell us how you got started on that because this is yeah you didn't think it could get any more amazing just wait everybody wait till you hear about this <laughs> <laughs> You're so sweet. So yes, after I left my abusive relationship, I definitely felt a, a, you know, a, a lack of support. And also I felt during my divorce, just this idea in my mind of it would be really cool if there was just more help around just breakups in, in general. And then, you know, for the next several years, I went on my own journey and life had a lot to to teach me. And it certainly did. And then when I came back to the States about three years ago, I decided that when I, when I came back to the States, part of my new, this new chapter of my life was going to be breakup coaching and helping people to get through this mostly because I had been through a few breakups that had completely, you know, derailed. I had let derail my life. Yep. And I just, and I've discovered that there's another way to to do things. So during the pandemic, I went to coaching school. And as part of that, I decided to do a podcast. And it's partially because I love to talk so much. I love to talk about, <laughs> about breakups. And it was something that I was really on fire about. And so yeah, two years ago, I started X-Files podcast, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts and moving on. 
<laughs> and you can find me wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think at the core, I just want people to know that having a broken heart is okay. And it doesn't mean that your life is over. In fact, really, when you get to the heart of it, it means that this is a chance for a fresh, a fresh start. Do, do you yeah. deal with a lot of post-Mormons or is it a group? Of no, <laughs> I have. So, yeah, I guess this is an interesting thing. You know, like my life is a little bit compartmentalized. Um, I, all of my, so I'm also, so I'm a breakup coach, uh, meaning that I work one-on-one -on -one with people to beat their breakups, which is an absolute honor to do. Everybody pretty much finds me through the podcast because it's kind of blown up. And I work with men and women all around the world to just, you know, put this behind them once and for all. And I actually don't work with, with post-Mormons. As far as my post-Mormon journey goes, it's pretty much Thrive related at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, post-Mormons so, have done the ultimate breakup, right? And so yeah. it's a whole different set of situations. Oh, but. a thousand percent. In fact, I went through something so recently, you know, with my family and deciding that yeah. like we needed, like things needed to stop. And it, and it's very much informed my work with, with my clients and things that I've said on the podcast, as far as, you know, like getting to the point of acceptance and allowing yourself you know, the time to grieve and then, you know, deciding what life is going to look like after. And so I'm, I'm in a way thankful for, for, for that experience. I just actually recorded an episode yesterday on how to apply things that you learn from your breakups into the other aspects of your life. And I was really thankful that I had gained so much knowledge from horrible breakups that I've been able to apply to what I've recently gone through with my family. Wow. No, that's amazing. I'm I'm so happy that people find you because I know that's difficult. And sometimes you're speaking for a friend. No, <laughs> sometimes you're just like, how do I get over this? And you're searching what the internet or you're searching, you know, any way that you can try to find ways to make yourself feel okay, because it's so emotional and physical symptoms, you know, that can be debilitating yeah. when it's that kind of jealousy and breakup. So to have somebody that can help you navigate that and tell you the number one thing I think would be, you're going to, you are going to be okay. It, it, cause you can't see your way out of it sometimes at all. And if somebody can see that for you and tell you and reassure you, I can see how that would be amazing. So, wow. Thank you. I, I really mean, it's still, it's a moving on from anything is yeah. a choice, yep. but I think it really helps to have somebody on the outside, give you the tools and the yep. resources and just like objective insight. And I'm so honored uh, to be able to do that for people because, you know, this doesn't have to destroy your life. This can actually make your life better. And why don't you spell uh, <laughs> spell it for people. Cause I know right now, probably everybody is finding episodes of Scully and Mulder because they're, <laughs> they're Googling X files. That's not how it's spelled. Yeah. So <laughs> it seemed like a really good idea at the time because it, it's X, X as an EX right. files with a PH. So it's like a Greek would be X lovers. Uh, so, right. you know, when we were right? yeah. X, X wow. files, so yeah, we'll EX, in the show notes but for anyone that's listening and right now is on your phone trying to go oh i need her it's ex space p-h-i-l-e-s yeah ex lovers yeah. and yeah, yeah it's, it, like i said it seemed so brilliant you know when i when i came up with it and i was like well you're on an 
audio platform. So, I, <laughs> but yes, X X lovers, um, X Files with Janice Formichella. I would love oh. you to come over and listen. And in fact, if you come over, um, hit me up on Instagram, and I'll send you some inst- or um, I will send you some X Files stickers in the mail Ooh, if you tell me that you listen to this merch. Everybody, merch. Yes. We love it. <laughs> Wow. I feel like we could continue talking for another three hours, but what I, I think what I'll say, and I think Lennon will agree. I think we just need to have Janice on again. Cause I still feel yeah. there's a lot more we could talk about. I, I gotta think just the X-Files conversation alone, there's gotta be yeah. a ton of. I, I know. I feel like there. we just yeah. touched on that. We just, so let's, okay. Let's say the end of this episode is kind of an introduction of X-Files and we will have Janice on again to really, really delve into that. Now that we know more of her story, because yeah, that whole part of it, I think, is untapped. There's a lot there that we can I talk about. I would love to. So, yeah. I love helping people to yeah. love being single, overcome loneliness, and yeah. yeah, use your breakup as the start of, you know, a new chapter of life. So keep your eyes on the Mormonish space. That's right. No, I, that is just wonderful. And it's so positive. That's the thing. You can turn anything in the things you've been through, you know, a lot of people would have just said, that's it. I can't go past. I can't recover, but you've turned everything into something amazingly positive and not just for yourself, but to help countless others through Thrive and through your podcast. So we applaud you from Mormonish. I'm sure that our viewers are applauding at home, right? <laughs> I'm sure so they much. are. I know. So unfortunately we're going to sign off, dang it. But I, we're true to our word. We're going to have Janice back on because this has just been absolutely Great. wonderful. So thank you everybody who tuned in and listened. Please like, and subscribe and please uh, add in the comments, some of your stories. Do you have a young woman's recognition, uh, personal progress medallion, <laughs> or more importantly, do you know where to get one because Janice and I both want one maybe even landed maybe someday we'll all three be wearing one let's let's be unisex here so yeah please comment and tell us what you think about this amazing episode and please check out if you're in the uh, Denver area check out Thrive with Janice or go find her x-files on Instagram and all the other places that she is so there it is we will say good night for now thank you everybody thanks so much for listening thanks Janice it was wonderful <laughs> bye, bye everybody thank you bye.